0: Podcastle, episode number seventy, for September fifteenth, two thousand nine. The Divic in the Bottle by Russell William Aspland.
1: Hello, this is Rachel Swirsky. Once upon a time, Anne Leckie and I wrote a short comic piece for the PodCastle blog, which featured the two of us as noblewomen who lived in the PodCastle, with all of the expected medieval fantasy accoutrements. These days, along with our embroidery and archery and loot lessons, we've also been spending some time tidying up the turrets to make room for some newcomers. First off, there's Samana Hariharishwara, who has joined Anne and I in the editorial wing, where she spends long hours with Quill and Ink, writing out delicately calligraphied letters to our many correspondents. Then there's our new assistant administrative duo, which consists of Dave Thompson, who those of you on the boards will recognize as DKT, Already you'll have noticed he's taken over our feedback sections and he's going to be helping out with introductions and quotes and other recording duties as well. He's working with Anna Schwind, Anarchy on the Boards, who's lending us her organizational and managerial skills to help keep the podcast running smoothly. If you like, instead of imagining us as an editorial team laboring in mundane fashion in the modern world, you may imagine us thumping training swords against wooden dummies as we polish up our battle skills. Or if you prefer some sorcery, perhaps we spend all our time in the magic laboratory with steaming flasks and moldering spellbooks. In any case, we're having a good fantasy time. Today's story is The Diebuck in the Bottle by author Russell Asplund. It originally appeared in Silver Birch Blood Moon, edited by Ellen Datlow and Terry Windling. It's read for us by Wilson Fowley, one of Podcastle's favorite readers. Wilson conducts a local amateur show choir in Vancouver called the Maple Leaf Singers, which you can find online at maple-leaf-singers.com. He describes himself as an ordinary, choir-conducting, software-developing, formerly amateur speech-making, husband-slash-dad-of-two-kids kind of guy. Enjoy the story!
2: THE DIBOOK IN THE BOTTLE by Russell William Asplund It was Avram Caskley's curse to be born a farmer, and a poor one at that. He had inherited the land from his parents, and he worked it as was his duty, but he simply had no mind for the rhythms and seasons of the land, no gift for living things. As a result, his wheat was always a little shorter than his neighbors, his chickens always a little skinnier. Still, Avram did not waste time cursing his fate, while he was poor, at least he was not starving, and though it was true that he would never be a successful farmer, that had never been his dream anyway. Deep in his heart he wished to be a rabbi, and not just any rabbi, but a wonder-working rabbi, like Rabbi Adam, or the Bel Shem Tov. What little money he could put aside, he spent on books, and he read them morning and night. He read them while he plowed his fields, letting the horse set the path for the plow, As a result, his fields were the crookedest in the valley, but Abram learned of the deeds of the great Rabbi Menchem, who could call down the birds from the sky to fly him about. He read them while the eggs in his chicken coop sat ungathered. As a result, he missed market-day, but he learned of the life of Rabbi Elimelech, who travelled to Paradise one Sabbath day, only to be sent back for speaking out of turn. Sadly, Abram had no more talent for wonder-working than for farming, No matter how hard he prayed, he could not call even a sparrow down from a tree. His sabbaths were spent at a small synagogue in the town, and the rabbi there had no idea of the way to paradise save the path of a good life. As for Avram's attempt to animate a golem, the less said about it the better. Still, Avram did not give up. After all, without his books there was only the farm, and the more he worked the farm, the more he wanted to work wonders instead." There was very little glory in cleaning a chicken coop. And that is how Avram came upon the Dibbuk in the bottle. It was the height of summer, so while there was weeding to be done and chickens to tend to, there was nothing so pressing on the farm that it couldn't be put off. Avram spent many an afternoon among the oaks and pines at the edge of his fields reading. One day, when he was reading about the rabbi of Stolen, who brought rain to ease the drought that had plagued his city, a summer shower caught him unaware. As the first few drops spattered on the pages of his book, he realized that he could not make it back to the house in time. Out in the rain his book would be ruined. He began to look about for a place to take shelter. The trees in this part of his field grew thick and tall, the last remainder of the vast forest that had once covered all the province. Nearby, Avram saw where some ancient fire had burned a small cavity at the base of a tall pine. It was just big enough for a man to fit in, so Avram crouched down and, drawing his knees to his chin, drew himself inside the tree. The rain washed down in great grey sheets, blocking out most of the sun. Avram clutched his book protectively and pressed back as far into the tree as he could. Thunder rattled the ground, lightning split the sky in blinding flashes— And once again Avram began to wish that he could work wonders, like the rabbi of Stolen. Certainly if someone could bring rain, he ought to be able to send it away. He tried to think of a prayer, but it was hard to think through the noise of the storm, and he was beginning to get cramps in his legs from hiding in the tree. He tried to change his position, shifting his book into one hand and leaning on the other, but his hand slipped on the moss and leaves, and one foot shot forward and out into the rain, He scrambled back in, and it was then that his hand found the bottle. He couldn't see it in the dim light, but he could feel the cold, smooth glass and faceted shape. There was a stopper in the top, a little round ball of glass that gleamed even in the near darkness, reflecting back again and again what little light there was. He clutched the bottle tightly, his mind racing with possibilities. Was it a magic potion? A good luck charm? When the storm broke, he rushed home with his book in one hand and the bottle in the other. There, sitting on his kitchen table, the bottle looked even more magical. The glass was the deepest blue he had ever seen, and the bottle itself, while small, was ornately crafted. Compared to the rough wooden furniture and plain homely decoration of his house, the bottle fairly glowed with magic. Avram realized that this was the whole reason he had been out that day, just to be led to this bottle. Perhaps that was the whole reason he was given the farm. Certainly it boded well for his future as a wonder-worker. He weighed it in his hand for a moment, nearly shaking with excitement. Then he put the other hand on the stopper and began to pull. The bottle had obviously been closed for some time, and at first the stopper would not budge. "'Avram pulled, and he tugged. "'He stood up to get better leverage, but it would not budge. "'He tapped the top of the bottle lightly against the table, but it didn't loosen. "'Almost, he considered simply smashing the bottle, "'but who knew what that would do to whatever was inside? "'Finally, he sat back down to think. "'Now what would Rabbi Adam do?' he said quietly to himself. At the sound of his words there was a pop from the bottle and the stopper shot off. A cloud of thick, evil-smelling smoke poured out of the bottle and before Avram had time to even call out a dibbok shot from the bottle, grabbed him by the throat and had him pinned to the wall. The demon was bright red. Its clawed hands seemed to burn where they held Avram by the throat. It let out a yowl of pure anger, then suddenly stopped. It took a good look at Abram, blinked twice, and let him drop. You're not Rabbi Adam. The demon's voice was low and rough. Abram fell to his knees, still trying to catch his breath. Are you? No, Abram said. No, I'm not. The Dibbuk seemed disappointed and actually seemed to shrink a bit. It looked around the room. "'No, I don't suppose you are. "'Rabbi Adam and I were having a little contest before he tricked me into that bottle. "'You don't know where I could find him, do you?' "'The Dibbuk's voice had changed. "'Now it was smooth and melodic, friendly even. "'If anything, this made Avram even more nervous. "'He thought hard, trying to remember if he had ever read how to handle a Dibbuk. "'Rabbi Adam is dead.' "'Dead? When did that happen? I thought that one would live forever. "'He's been dead for over a hundred years.' "'Yes,' Avram thought as he spoke. "'Plenty of rabbis had made their names outwitting Dibbuk's. "'Certainly he should be able to—' "'A hundred years!' the demon roared. "'It turned on Avram, backing him into the wall again. "'A hundred years he left me to rot in that bottle—' "'What did he do, hide it in a tree or something?' "'Well, yes,' Avram said quietly. "'That is where I found the bottle.' The demon turned its back and walked across the room, shaking its head. "'I should have known. A hundred years. Who would have thought?' Avram dusted himself off. He was tired of being pushed around in his own house.' He was a little wary of the demon, but, after all, the Dibbuk had allowed itself to be tricked into the bottle in the first place. How bright could it be? Besides, this was the chance he had been waiting for all his life. "'Excuse me, Mr. Demon, sir?' The Dibbuk ignored him, and instantly Abram felt foolish. "'Calling a demon, sir? Would any of the wonder rabbis have stooped so low?' He cleared his throat and tried again in his most commanding voice— Demon, come to me. The demon turned to face him then and the glint in its eye almost made Avram wish he hadn't spoken at all. What do you want, little man? Avram swallowed hard, but pressed on. I freed you from the bottle. That puts you in my service, doesn't it? In your service? the demon bellowed. "'Avram backed up into the wall, "'wincing at the thought of the sharp claws "'once again wrapped around his throat, "'but the demon stopped mid-stride, "'and a smile spread slowly across its face. "'In your service. "'Well, why, yes, I suppose it does.' "'Avram smiled. "'This was easier than he thought. "'Good, then. "'Of course I'll need a place to stay. "'Fine.' "'said Avram. "'You may stay out in the chicken-coop.' "'The chicken-coop?' "'The demon looked hurt. "'You want me to stay in a chicken-coop?' "'No, thanks. "'I'll just get right back in the bottle "'and take my chances on being found by someone a little less stingy.' The Dibbuk actually moved toward the bottle, but Avram stepped in his way. No, no, of course you can't stay in the chicken coop. You would just frighten the chickens anyway, and they produce little enough. Avram paced for a moment, thinking, You will stay here with me, in my house. That way I can keep an eye on you. Yes, he thought, that should work. After all, who knew what the demon would do left on his own? Better to keep him here... Fine, then. I will stay here with you. Now, why don't you get some sleep, and tomorrow you can set me to my tasks? Yes, Avram said. The dibbok seemed friendly enough, but there was something in his smile that made Avram's knees quake. He did not think he would sleep well that night at all. Indeed, Avram was right. He tossed and turned in his bed all night, sifting through the stories he'd read about Dibux. Try as he might, he could not get comfortable in his bed. Still, he drifted off to sleep sometime during the night. When he woke in the morning, it was obvious why he'd had trouble getting comfortable. His bed had shrunk and was now no bigger than a child's. His feet hung over the foot of the bed, almost from his knees. He jumped up quickly in surprise only to smack his head against the ceiling. He looked around the room. Everything was smaller, or else he was bigger. His little wooden chest looked more like a shoebox, the large mirror in the corner he could easily pick up with one hand, and even as he looked, things seemed to be getting smaller. ''Demon, come to me!'' he yelled. He was pleased that he managed to keep the quaver out of his voice. He was starting to get the hang of this. Certainly no Dibbuk was going to get the better of him.'' The Dibbuk appeared quickly, poking its head through the door. It was the same size as the furniture. Avram picked the demon up by the shoulders as he would a small child. It looked up at him innocently. Is something wrong? Of course there's something wrong. Look at me. What have you done? To you, nothing. But I thought, since I was staying here, you wouldn't mind if I made a few changes. The demon shrugged amiably. "'A few changes! Why, I can hardly fit in my own room!' Abram set the demon down. In fact, the room had gotten smaller while they argued, and now Abram had to stoop noticeably just to keep from hitting the ceiling. "'Well, you see, I'm used to living in a bottle. I feel a lot more at home with things at a slightly smaller scale. "'Put it back the way it was!' Abram was through arguing with the demon. "'After all, who here was the servant?' "'he put a large finger to the demon's chest. "'And do it now!' "'The demon shrugged again, still smiling. "'As you wish.' "'Instantly the room was as it was before. "'Avram straightened up gratefully, "'his back aching from bending over. "'The demon was back to its original size as well, "'almost as tall as Avram himself. "'That's much better,' Avram said, "'reaching for his clothes. "'Now let's get going. "'There's much work to be done.' "'Work?' the demon looked surprised. "'Yes, work.' Avram was beginning to lose patience. "'You are my servant, remember? I freed you from the bottle, and now you must do my bidding.' "'Oh, that!' said the demon. "'Well, yes, but as I'm sure a wise man like you must know, you may command me only once a day.' "'And since you have already asked me to put the house back as it was, "'well then, the rest of the day is mine.' "'The demon turned and walked from the room. "'Avram opened his mouth to argue, but shut it again. "'Maybe the demon was right. "'Obviously the Dibbuk thought that Avram knew more about the situation than he did. "'It would be foolish to show his ignorance. "'He would read up on the subject, and then, if the demon had lied to him, "'he would make it pay.' Abram did not see the demon again that day. He did what chores he could not postpone, very few to his mind. After all, what did not get done today he could set the demon to do tomorrow. He went over and over again in his mind how he had been tricked that morning, determined it would not happen again. All afternoon he read all he could on the subject of Dibbuk's, but he learned very little. Still, he thought, a little common sense, a little luck, and he would yet come out ahead. HE DREAMED THAT NIGHT THAT HE WAS TAKEN UP TO HEAVEN, WHERE HE SAT TALKING AND SWAPPING STORIES WITH THE PROPHETS AND WISE OLD MEN OF ISRAEL. WHEN DARKNESS CAME, HE LAY DOWN ON A CLOUD TO SLEEP. THE CLOUD WAS SOFT AND BORE HIM GENTLY, BUT HE WAS TROUBLED. FROM BELOW HE COULD HEAR THE SOUNDS OF DEMONS LAUGHING, REVELING AND MAKING MERRY. IN HIS DREAM HE WAS ABOUT TO GO AND COMPLAIN, WHEN HE AWOKE WITH A START. IT TOOK HIM A MOMENT TO REALIZE HE WAS AWAKE. The sound of laughter continued, and he thought at first he was still sleeping on a cloud, until he realized it was just his feather bed, now enormous in size. He made his way to the edge of the bed, his feet sinking down into the mattress on each step. It was like traveling through the deep snow. "'Demon!' he cried, shaking his fist. "'Come to me!' When he reached the edge of the bed, the Dibbuk was waiting for him. It was huge— its red eyes as big as windows. It stood between Avram and the chest of drawers, a space as vast as a canyon. The Dibbuk clapped its hands together. What can I do for you today, master? What have you done? The giant demon was an imposing sight, but Avram was too angry to care. He walked as close to the edge of his bed as he dared. At the door, other demons looked on, laughing. It was this that had woken him from his dreams. Ah, well, you see, some friends came to visit. Being locked up for a hundred years, there was a lot to catch up on. The house seemed a little crowded, so I made it bigger. Have you forgotten what I told you yesterday? I do not want my house changed. The Dibbuk looked apologetic, as those behind him laughed. "'Well, I know you do not want it smaller, and I could understand that. "'But most men dream of owning a larger home. "'Why, right now you have the largest home in the province. "'I don't care. Just put it—' "'Avram stopped abruptly, seeing the demon's smile. "'Yes,' said the Dibbuk. "'What is it you want?' "'Nothing,' said Avram, calming himself. THE DEMON MUST THINK HIM A FOOL TO FALL FOR THE SAME TRICK TWICE. COME SEE ME AFTER BREAKFAST, AND I WILL SET YOU TO YOUR TASK. AS YOU WISH. THE DIBOOK TURNED AND LEFT, LEAVING AVRAM STANDING ALONE ON HIS ENLARGED BED. HE LOOKED DOWN, AND WISHED HE HADN'T. IT WAS LIKE STANDING ON TOP OF A TALL HOUSE. IT TOOK HIM A FEW MINUTES TO WORK UP HIS COURAGE TO CLIMB DOWN THE SHEET TO THE FLOOR. He made his way through the strange landscape of oversized shoes and giant furniture. He had to hop over the cracks between the floorboards, which lay as rough as new ploughed fields and smelled of dust and chicken droppings. Just like yesterday, things seemed to be getting worse as time went on, but he set his jaw resolutely and made for the kitchen. The trek took most of the morning. By the time he reached the kitchen he was hungry and sore. He spent nearly half an hour hiding from a hairy spider almost as large as he. The Dibbuk sat at the table, surrounded by his friends. Avram tried to climb up the bench beside him, but it was too tall, and he didn't have the strength. Almost a large blue demon stepped on him on the way to the cupboards. Avram hopped aside just in time. The demons were feasting on his food, and Avram's stomach growled. He tried a few more times to approach the table, but the danger was too great. Avram sat down and leaned against the wall. Demon, he said wearily. Somehow, even above the noise of the revelry, the Dibbuk heard him. Yes, it said, turning around at the table. Who said that? I thought I heard a voice. The other demons roared with laughter. You win, demon. Avram did not look up. He knew the Dibbuk could hear him. Put things back as they were, or perhaps I should speak more clearly from now on. Make the house its normal size, and send your friends home, then leave me till tomorrow. Avram finally looked up, scowling. And come tomorrow early. I will have work for you. The demon nodded silently, and all was as it was before. Avram sat alone in his kitchen. He got wearily to his feet and walked to the cupboards, but there was no food left. He sat down at the table and picked at what was left of the demon's feast. All day Avram read and planned, ignoring his farm completely. Obviously the demon would try and trick him again tomorrow, but this time he would be prepared. He slept most of the afternoon in relative peace, knowing he had sent the Dibbuk away for the rest of the day. By the time night fell, Avram was ready. He lit a large fire in the hearth, his mind racing with plans of what he would ask the Dybbuk in the morning. He lit a candle and set it on the table and prepared to wait out the night. When the lazy smoke and crackling flames began to lull him to sleep, he simply remembered the tricks the Dybbuk had played on him the last two nights, and the anger kept him awake. It was a long night, but Avram kept his vigil. Very early in the morning his patience was rewarded. Some time before sunrise he heard a sound like the rushing of wind, and the demon stood before him. Avram leaped to his feet. "'Aha! I have you this time. None of your mischief this morning, demon. Today you will do as I say.' "'Of course,' the demon said. It hid its disappointment with a smile, but Avram knew better. He had expected Avram to continue playing the fool. "'Fine.' In truth, Avram had been expecting more of a fight. He paced the room as he thought of how to word his request. "'I command you to—you know, maybe you shouldn't rush into things. Maybe you should have some breakfast first. I'm a good cook. Just say the word, and I'll make something up.' "'Silence,' Avram said. "'I know your tricks. I ask you to get breakfast, and that's all I get.' other than chased out of my house. No, you will do as I command. All my life I have wanted to be able to work wonders, like the great rabbis. Make me a wonder-worker. That is my command. The Dibbuk stared at him in silence for a while. A wonder-worker? Yes, you know, like Rabbi Menchum, who could call the birds down from the sky, like Rabbi— Oh, I see— "'Why didn't you say so in the first place? There, it is done. Now I'm off to breakfast. By the way, you're a little low on bread.' The Dibbuk walked toward the kitchen. Avram ran after him. "'What do you mean it's done?' "'Just call the birds. You'll see,' the Dibbuk called over his shoulder. Avram stopped and watched him go into the kitchen. He didn't feel any different.' Still, it would be easy enough to tell if the Dibbuk was lying. The sun was just beginning to rise as Avram stepped out of his house and looked out on his farm. This early in the morning it looked peaceful and calm. A slight mist hung over the fields as the first rays of the sun shone greenly through the leaves of the surrounding trees. A few birds called high above, and Avram felt his heart lift with excitement. "'Come, birds,' he called. "'Come to me!' He waited for the sound of beating wings or the call of songs. Instead, he heard a flurry of clucking and a rush of feathers from the chicken coop. He turned just in time to see them bearing down upon him. The big rooster landed on his shoulder as the hens gathered around his feet. He tried to move, but there were chickens everywhere. "'Demon!' he called out, and instantly the demon was there. "'And what might I do for you, O oh wonder-worker?' "'I said birds, not chickens.' "'Avram waded through the chickens to stand beside the demon. "'What kind of wonder is it to be able to call chickens?' "'Chickens are birds, you have to admit. "'Still, I can see your point. "'Go ahead, call any birds you like.' "'Avram turned his back to the demon, "'and, shaking the rooster from his shoulder,' he called. Sure enough, the birds in the trees answered, alighting on Avram's shoulders and arms. There were tiny gray sparrows and black-capped chickadees. There were brightly colored jays and noisy crows. Soon Avram could barely see, let alone move. "'Shoo!' he said. "'Go away!' But the birds stayed put. He tried flapping his arms and shouting, but the birds just retreated a bit, only to come to rest again when he stopped." "'Demon, how do I call them off?' Avram asked. "'Oh, no, I've already done you one favor today. "'You asked to be able to call birds. "'Now you can call birds. "'If you'll excuse me, you're interrupting my breakfast.' "'With that, the Dibbuk turned and headed back into the house. "'Avram followed, slowly making his way through the birds and chickens. "'When he reached the door, he could hear demons laughing.' Abram stood at the door a while, listening to the unholy revelry, then hung his head in shame and defeat. He turned his back on his home and started walking for town. He needed help. His home was overrun with demons and the only wonder he could perform was less than useless. He hoped the rabbi would have more wisdom than he had shown. A cloud of birds followed him along the road, chirping and clucking noisily. By the time he reached the town, quite a crowd had gathered to watch his journey. They laughed and pointed, and Avram's ears burned with shame. He made his way to the rabbi's house and knocked on the door. The village rabbi answered it. He was an old man, his hair thinning and his beard white. He jumped back as the birds flitted past his face and around his door. Ah, Avram, I knew you would be coming. Avram blushed even deeper. Gossip must travel fast. I came to your home as soon as I reached town, but already news of my shame has spread. Gossip? The village rabbi swatted at a thrush that was trying to fly through the open door. What gossip? I was visited by a holy man named Rabbi Meltzer. He said that you would be coming to seek his help. Come around back. I left him there, tending to his horse. The rabbi shut the door and walked to the back of the house. Avram followed behind, leaving a trail of feathers. Out back, a small man in dark robes was watering a fine white horse. He had dark hair and a long beard that hung down to his chest. At the sound of Avram's flock, he lifted his head and smiled as Avram came forward. You must be Avram, he said, stepping up to meet Avram. The birds parted before him. Avram must have been a head taller than the small man. My name is Rabbi Meltzer, and I have come to help you. Tell me how this came about. Something in the way the small man smiled set Avram at ease. The man was not here to mock him or shame him. He seemed genuinely concerned as Avram told him everything, his discovery of the bottle, the attempt to put the demon in his service, the demon's trickery. Rabbi Meltzer listened to it all. When he was finished, the small man was quiet for a moment. You say he mentioned Rabbi Adam? Yes, Avram said. At the beginning he seemed to think that I would be him. Yes, Rabbi Meltzer said, turning to the town rabbi. It is as we thought. There is no time to lose. Would you be so kind as to lend Avram a horse? The rabbi agreed, and Rabbi Meltzer turned back to Avram. Do not feel bad. Even Rabbi Adam had to struggle with this demon before he overcame it. But listen closely. By bargaining with the Dibbuk you have given it some level of control. You will have to follow me carefully, and do everything I tell you to do. But if you do, you will be saved. Do you agree? Although he was small, Abram could feel the strength in Rabbi Meltzer's words. He nodded in agreement. Good. The first thing you need to do is sell me your house. What? asked Abram. Everything I say. First you must sell me your house. "'Here are five kopeck to seal the deal. Do you agree?' Avram nodded dumbly as he took the five coins from Rabbi Meltzer. The small man looked pleased, as well he should. Avram knew his farm was not worth much, but certainly far more than this. Just then the rooster alighted on his shoulder and crowed loudly. Avram winced and pocketed the coins. If the Dibbuk stayed, his farm was worth nothing. He had no choice but to trust Rabbi Meltzer. "'Good man!' "'Rabbi Meltzer said, patting him on the arm. "'Ah, look, here is the good rabbi with your horse.' "'The town rabbi came around the house, "'leading his own brown mare. "'He helped Avram into the saddle, wishing him God's blessing. "'Rabbi Meltzer mounted his own horse "'and started off toward Avram's farm without asking directions. "'Avram tried to ask the rabbi how he knew, "'but his horse seemed always one step behind the fine white stallion, "'and Avram was not much of a rider.' Finally he gave up and concentrated on not falling off the horse. They were almost a quarter of a mile from his farm when they began to hear the demon's revelry. The sound grew louder as they approached, harsh and joyless for all its mirth. Rabbi Meltzer stopped and said a little prayer, then rode right to the front door and got off his horse. "'Now then,' he said as Avram dismounted, "'you have agreed to do whatever I command. That makes you my servant, am I correct?' Avram could hear glass breaking in the kitchen. Rabbi Meltzer awaited his reply. I suppose. Good. Rabbi Meltzer turned and rapped sharply on the door. Come out, foul demon! Leave off your violence to my house! The Dibbuk appeared at the door. He smiled broadly when he saw Avram. Ah, you will have to wait for tomorrow before I can help you some more. The other demons laughed, hooting and shouting names. Rabbi Meltzer took a step closer to the demon. I ask you again, creature of sin, remove yourself from my house. The Dibbuk looked over at the small man. Rabbi Meltzer came barely to the demon's shoulders, yet he did not seem at all frightened. It was the demon who took a step back. What do you mean, your house? "'I have the right to live here. "'I made a deal with Avram Caskley, whose house this is.' "'This house is mine,' Rabbi Meltzer said again. "'Purchased fairly and legally, and this man is my servant. "'Now be off with you.' "'I will not,' the Dibbuk bared its teeth. "'I have given service to this pitiful excuse for a man, "'and I demand the payment agreed, "'which was permission to reside in this house.' This time it was Rabbi Meltzer who took a step back. "'Hmm, I see your point. You believed you were dealing with the owner of the house. Certainly it would be a poor master who did not honour deals made by his servant. You may stay in the house.' Again the demons roared with laughter. Rabbi Meltzer had to yell to be heard over the noise. "'I will see you here to-morrow, then, to assign you your task.' The dibbuk had turned its back on the rabbi, thinking him defeated. It turned back quickly. What was that you said? I said that I will see you here tomorrow to assign you your task. That was the deal, was it not? I agreed to serve him. The demon pointed a claw at Avram. You have demanded that I honor an agreement made by my servant, and I have agreed. And yet, if I am bound to honour his part of the agreement, surely you must agree that I have now taken his place in the bargain. After all, he is my servant. What does it matter if I give the orders, or if I merely order him to order you? Of course, if you prefer, we could simply call the whole thing off. The other demons were quiet now, as the Dibbuk bared its teeth in a feral smile. "'No, no, I suppose you're right. "'I will serve you every bit as well as I did, Avram.' "'Fine,' said the rabbi, his smile as wide and innocent as the demon's was savage. "'Come, Avram, let's go in.' "'Avram hesitated. "'But, rabbi, what about the birds?' "'They were all around him still, fluttering and pecking at one another. "'The noise and mess they made were frightening.' AVRAM SHUDDERED TO THINK WHAT THEY WOULD DO INSIDE THE HOUSE. I SEE YOUR POINT. RABBI MELTZER REACHED UP AND SCRATCHED HIS BEARD. THE BIRDS MUST BE TERRIBLY HUNGRY AFTER FOLLOWING YOU ALL DAY. GO TO THE CHICKEN COOP AND FEED THEM, THEN COME BACK TO THE HOUSE. AVRAM BEGAN TO PROTEST, BUT RABBI MELTZER LIFTED A HAND IN WARNING. EVERYTHING, REMEMBER? SO AVRAM TRUDGED TO THE COOP AND SCATTERED GRAIN UPON THE GROUND. The birds dove at it hungrily, jostling for position. Avram sat at the door to the coop and watched. The chickens took the lion's share, with the smaller birds darting in and out beneath them to grab a seed here and there. Avram watched one small magpie, barely older than a fledgling, get chased away first by the chickens, then a robin. Avram felt sorry for the little bird. One day it would be a robber, like most magpies, eating his grain seed before it had time to grow— But right now it looked like nothing so much as a frightened child. Avram scooped up a handful of seed and carried it to the little bird, smiling as it ate from his hand. When the birds had had their fill, Avram walked back to the house. He hesitated at the door, then shrugged. He was not going to sleep outside. He opened the door and walked through. Amazingly, the birds did not follow. They arranged themselves around the door-stoop, perching and sitting on the steps, the windows, and the roof. The house itself was quiet and dark in the evening light. Avram found Rabbi Meltzer alone in the kitchen reading one of Avram's books. He looked up when Avram walked in. So that's where you got the idea for the birds. Avram looked around the kitchen warily. Where are the demons? Apparently they didn't like the company. The small man managed to sound almost disappointed. Don't worry, our dubuk will be back tomorrow. "'Avram sat on the bench across from Rabbi Meltzer. "'And what will you do then?' "'Watch and see, my loyal servant.' "'Rabbi Meltzer patted his arm and smiled broadly. "'Perhaps you will learn that there is more to life than what is in these books.' "'With that, the rabbi rose and went to lie down in Avram's bed. "'Avram no longer even thought to complain. "'He was weary to the bones.' He made himself a bed outside the door to the bedroom, as was fitting for a servant, and lay down to sleep. He awoke to a hand on his shoulder. He looked up groggily to see Rabbi Meltzer leaning over him, gesturing for silence. The house was dark, but Avram could see through the windows the horizon just beginning to lighten with the promise of dawn. He rose quietly and followed the rabbi into his living room. They paused at the door, and the rabbi pointed. In the room the Dibbuk stood with his back to them. It was gesturing broadly with its hands and chanting strange words softly to itself. Rabbi Meltzer smiled and winked at Avram, then walked boldly into the room. Good. I like to see my servants get off to an early start, but I am afraid I need no spells today. Still, if you are that anxious to get started, I see no reason we cannot begin. The demon turned in surprise to see Rabbi Meltzer bearing down upon it. It growled low in its throat, the spell dying on its lips. Avram inched slowly into the room behind the rabbi. Fine. The dibbok's smile showed all its teeth. What do you command, master? It is a simple thing, and the same for both of you. The rabbi turned, so he was facing both Avram and the Dibbuk. Just do as you see me do. Nothing more, nothing less. What? "'said the Dibbuk and Avram simultaneously. "'Just do what I do. "'Come on now, or the day will be gone before we are even started.' "'Rabbi Meltzer walked towards the door. "'The Dibbuk looked at Avram, who shrugged and turned to follow. "'He could hear the footsteps of the demon as it followed. "'Outside the birds were waiting. "'They chirped joyfully when Avram stuck his head out the door. "'The rooster crowed, and there was a rush of wings from all around.' "'Avram smiled despite himself as the birds looped around him. "'The young magpie landed on his shoulder and Avram stroked its neck. "'Rabbi Meltzer stood a moment surveying the farm. "'Avram looked too, embarrassed by what he saw. "'The fields were full of weeds, the fences falling down, "'and the chicken coop ramshackle and in need of cleaning. "'The rabbi pointed to the chicken coop. "'There, that's where we'll start.' "'The chicken coop?' The demon stood just inside the door, staring at the rabbi in disbelief. "'Yes, it looks like it hasn't been cleaned in months. That will do for a start.' "'You want me to clean a chicken coop? Do you realize the powers I have? I could give you armies, riches, whatever you desire.' "'What I desire is a nice home for the chickens.' "'Now come!' Rabbi Meltzer turned and walked toward the coop. The demon muttered under its breath and took a step out of the door. As soon as it appeared the birds began to chirp loudly. First one, then another would dive toward the dibbok, pulling up only at the last second. The demon was forced to duck and dodge as starlings and sparrows flew angrily about it. "'Call them off, would you?' the demon glared at Avram." I have only the power to call birds, not command them, remember? Avram had to smile. The demon swore and tried to swipe at one of the birds. It dodged easily. Rabbi Meltzer turned and called to them. Hurry up, you two. Don't be all day. Rabbi Meltzer sent Avram for shovels, then they cleaned it out and put in fresh hay. They hammered nails into loose boards, and when all was done, they raked clean the ground around the coop and spread grain out for the birds to eat. Rabbi Meltzer sat for a moment, watching the birds. The demon stayed just far enough away from Avram and the birds. Fine, I've cleaned your chicken coop. I will return tomorrow to see what other imaginative task you have in store. Stay, Rabbi Meltzer said sharply as the demon turned to leave. We are not finished yet. Next I believe the fences need to be repaired. The Dibbuk turned, snarling viciously, "'I will not be your farm-hand, no matter what our bargain.' "'You said you would follow my commands. "'Certainly I would think a powerful dibbuk could do anything a poor, simple rabbi could do, "'but I suppose I was wrong. "'If you wish to admit you cannot live up to our bargain, we can call the whole thing off.' "'The demon stared for a moment, then chuckled softly. "'So that's your game.' Well, I cannot be chased off as easily as that. Lead on. And so they spent the day working on the farm. By noon Avram's arms were sore and tired, and by evening he felt he could barely walk. Rabbi Meltzer asked nothing of them that he would not do himself. The small man worked throughout the day, always smiling and often singing softly to himself. Finally, as the sun began to set, Rabbi Meltzer led them again to the house. He looked briefly over what they had done, and Avram had to admit he was impressed. Already the farm looked cleaner, better cared for, even more prosperous. His arms burned from the effort, but it felt good in a way. You may go now, Rabbi Meltzer turned to the demon. I release you for the day, but be back tomorrow. The Dibbuk said nothing, just disappeared in a puff of smoke. Come, said the Rabbi to Avram, let's get our rest. There is much more to be done to The next day went much like the first. Again the rabbi awoke Avram early and caught the Dibbuk attempting to work some mischief. Again Rabbi Meltzer's only command was to do as he did. This time the demon did not argue, and soon they were out weeding the fields. Avram's arms were stiff and sore from yesterday's work, but they soon loosened up, and he found himself almost enjoying the feel of his hoe slicing into the earth. The birds sang to him as he worked his way down the rows of grain. The Dibbuk grumbled loudly at first. Then, about halfway through the morning, it began to smile. It lifted its hoe and walked through the field past Avram to where Rabbi Meltzer was working. "'Have you tired of the work already?' the rabbi asked. "'Oh, no,' the demon said. "'I just wanted to make things clear. I am to do whatever you do, correct?' "'That is so.' Rabbi Meltzer turned back to his work, working the soil carefully around the young plants. The Dibbuk stood by until Rabbi Meltzer took a step down the row, then hoed the same spot in exactly the same way Rabbi Meltzer had done. Rabbi Meltzer stopped and looked at the demon. Is there a problem? the Dibbuk grinned. I am just doing exactly what I see you do. No, no problem. Avram watched as the rabbi went back to his work. The small man hoed as before, but this time he took care not to sever the weeds completely. The Dibbuk, mirroring his actions, would cut the weeds the rest of the way when it followed behind. The demon growled when it realized it was being tricked into doing useful labor. Abram stopped his work completely to watch the drama playing out before him. The demon began to cut softly as well, leaving the weeds standing. The rabbi shrugged and went back to hoeing as before, severing the weeds completely, but this time he began to hop from one side of the row to the other. The demon following behind did the same. Then the rabbi began hopping on one foot as he hoed. Avram laughed as Rabbi Meltzer led the Dibbuk in a merry dance. The sight of the red-faced demon skipping down the row behind Rabbi Meltzer was too much to take. Rabbi Meltzer hopped and spun like a young man at a wedding. Finally the demon stopped and threw down its hoe. Rabbi Meltzer stopped too. Perhaps it's best not to take things too literally, just hoe. The Dibbuk picked up the hoe and walked slowly back to the row it had been working on before. It glared at Avram, who still laughed, as he himself went back to work on the field. There was no more trouble from the demon that day. Again they worked until the sun set. By the end of the day, the farm looked as good as Avram could remember seeing it. After the Dibbuk disappeared in a sullen puff of smoke, Avram sat for a long time just looking out at the well-tended fields. The chickens wandered off to their freshly cleaned coop, and the birds found perches among the eaves of the house, all but the little magpie who stayed on Avram's shoulder. Rabbi Meltzer sat down beside him. "'We plant the seeds,' But we cannot make them grow. It is a wonder, when you think about it, that the seeds grow, that the chickens lay their eggs. Even the sky on a night like to-night is a wonder. Avram nodded, looking up at the first few stars now gleaming in the sky. Remember, Rabbi Meltzer said softly, if you want to work wonders, you must first learn to see them, and to remember that no work of man will ever match the wonders of God." With that the rabbi rose and went into the house. Avram sat a long time on the porch, watching the night fall over his farm. The next day was the Sabbath, but Rabbi Meltzer again woke Avram early. This time the demon was merely sitting in a chair waiting for them. "'Well, back to the fields?' the Dibbuk asked, rising from the chair. "'Not today. Today is the Sabbath,' Rabbi Meltzer said. "'Today is a day of rest.' "'Still my orders are the same. Do as you see me do.' "'With that the rabbi walked to the kitchen to prepare breakfast. "'He beckoned Avram and the Dibbuk to sit, then set food before them. "'As they began to eat, Rabbi Meltzer left the room "'and came back carrying Avram's copy of the holy books. "'The Dibbuk looked nervous, and when Rabbi Meltzer began to read "'from the books of Moses, it stood up noisily. "'I did not come here to eat.' "'Tell me what you would have me do, or I will take my leave.' "'Why, just what I said.' The rabbi turned the book around and pushed it across the table to the Dibbuk. "'Do as I have done. Read us a passage of the Holy Word.' The Dibbuk went pale. "'You know I cannot.' "'You have the book. You have eyes. Rabbi Meltzer's eyes never left the demons. "'Read.' The Dibbuk took a step back from the book. You cannot make me. It would be my undoing. I can make you do nothing. Rabbi Meltzer's eyes were hard and dark as flints. It is the power of your bargain that compels you. Now read. The Dibbuk was pressed up against the wall. I cannot, it said softly. I tell you, you must read or else declare our bargain invalid. Which will it be? The demon hung its head. You have won. I release you from the bargain. I will leave the demon began to fade when Rabbi Meltzer called, "Hold, I believe the bargain was in exchange for your release from the bottle. Rabbi Meltzer walked around to face the demon. If you will not honor your end, then you must go back from where you came. Avram bring the bottle. You can't be serious, the dibuk said, its eyes never leaving Rabbi Meltzer. Avram walked around the table and took the blue bottle from the cupboard. Rabbi Meltzer took it from him and set it on the table, removing the stopper. It was your bargain, Rabbi Meltzer said, and your own law that condemns you. The demon looked from the bottle to Rabbi Meltzer. Then, with its eyes downcast, it turned toward the bottle. Avram breathed a sigh of relief. The demon reached for the bottle, then stopped. I will not! The dibbok roared, throwing the bottle across the room. It turned on Rabbi Meltzer, grabbing him by the throat and pinning him to the wall. I will destroy you! The bottle bounced off the far wall of the room, but did not break. Avram jumped on the demon's back, trying to pull him off the smaller rabbi. The demon shook him off, sending Avram crashing against the window. Avram heard scratching against the window and looked up to see his small magpie trying to get in, surrounded by a multitude of other birds. Avram threw open the window, shouting, Come to me! The birds came, seemingly thousands of them pouring through the window, screeching and flapping furiously. They flew directly at the demon and pecked it viciously. It tried to shake them off, but there were too many. It had to drop the rabbi to protect its eyes. Rabbi Meltzer picked himself up off the floor. He seemed somehow larger. Not physically, but he radiated power. Hold! he cried, and his voice was deep and resonant. "'Instantly the birds stopped their attack and perched around the room. "'The demon, too, stopped and turned to look at Rabbi Meltzer. "'There are laws that govern even you, laws that cannot be disobeyed. "'You sought to destroy a poor fool because of his words and his pride, "'and yet when your word and your pride were turned against you, "'you scream betrayal. "'Nevertheless they are your words.' AND YOU MUST OBEY. THE dibbok SCREAMED IN RAGE, YET EVEN AS IT SCREAMED IT BEGAN TO SHRINK. THE ROOM FILLED WITH FOUL, EVIL-SMELLING SMOKE. WHEN IT CLEARED, RABBI MELTZER RAN TO WHERE THE BOTTLE LAY AND STUFFED IN THE STOPPER. HE BROUGHT IT TO THE TABLE AND SAT DOWN WEARILY. THAT WAS FAR TOO MUCH WORK FOR THE SABBATH, HE SAID, WIPING HIS BROW. BUT PERHAPS THE LORD WILL UNDERSTAND. Come, let's go to the synagogue and thank him for his help this day. Rabbi Meltzer again stayed that night with Avram. He begged Avram to take the bed, but Avram refused, preferring to sleep on the floor. In the morning Rabbi Meltzer arose and sold Avram back his house for five kopeck, then prepared to leave. Avram followed him as he saddled and packed his horse for the journey. Was I really such a fool? Rabbi Meltzer turned from his saddlebags. We are all fools in the sight of God, Avram laughed. A diplomatic answer, if not a full one. A fool is someone that doesn't know who they are. It's never too late to learn. Rabbi Meltzer mounted his horse. Avram looked over his farm. I think I can learn. But, Rabbi, what about the birds? He had gotten so used to them that he had almost forgotten they were there, but it did not seem fair to keep them like this. Oh, yes, Rabbi Meltzer said, and waved his hand at the birds. They took to the air, flying up over the farm. The chickens wandered back to their coop, scratching at the ground for food. Avram watched them go and was almost sorry. It was the closest he'd ever come to working a wonder. Goodbye, Avram the farmer. Rabbi Meltzer urged his horse forward onto the road. Avram waved until he lost sight of the small man who had saved his farm. Avram felt a tug on his shoulder and turned to see the small magpie alight there. He scratched it under the chin. "You are free to go now," he said, but the bird only rubbed its head against his cheek. Avram laughed. "Okay then, you can stay." He turned, picked up a hoe, and walked out into his
0: field. Feedback for Podcastle Giant Number 4, Tim Pratt's Captain Fantasy and the Secret Masters, about a secret agent who gets to fulfill his lifelong dream of working with his favorite superhero to fight Nazis. Or pseudo-Nazis. Either way, I hate those guys. Several people on the blog said it was their favorite Podcastle ever. On the board, posters discussed whether Captain Fantasy's secret identity resembled more Bruce Wayne's or Steve Rogers. Boggled Coriander said, I'm going to start off by saying that I'm not and have never been a comic book, graphic novel fan. It's not that I actively dislike them, it's more that the medium has always left me cold and I've never felt inspired to seek out comics that I'd like. I'm sure they exist. That said, I seem to like prose fiction that's explicitly based on comics. Maybe that's because it tends to get meta, and I like meta, and riffing on tropes that I never had the chance to grow weary of. I like the Union Do stories, and I like this. L33T Minion said, homo-erotic supertext. I was also amused at the protagonist nobody-must-have-known comment. Clearly, the guy never read any Captain Fantasy fanfiction. Osakat said, I'm amused that superheroes are a genre that fits well both into PodCastle and Escape Pod, and this was a nice take on superheroes, a mix between the hyper-realistic view that the union Do stories take and indulging in Silver Age comic silliness. I love throwing names around like Dr. Morlock, but the real big bad is just... Kelly great contrast and using joseph mingala in a superhero universe is just brilliant huh good Osea cat you know as a fan i wouldn't mind seeing some superhero stories on pseudopod 2 that's all the feedback we have for this week true believers come on by our message boards at forum.escapeartist.net and join in on the conversation until next week make mine podcastle
1: And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
0: Robert H. Schuller once said, Impossible situations can become possible miracles.